Welcome to Come Follow Up. I'm Barbara Morgan Gardner. And I'm Daniel Becerra. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. Our topic of study today is going to be 3rd Nephi chapter 27 through 4th Nephi. In these chapters, the people gathered to be with Christ and to hear his words. They unite in fasting and prayer, and Christ reminds them and teaches them the importance of the church being named after him. The people testify of Jesus Christ. They live according to the righteousness. They're willing to change and become a better people. There's four generations of happiness. So there's a lot of cool things to talk about in these scriptures today. Um, I have a lot of questions, a lot of things I want to share. To help us with our discussion, uh, we have uh, a special guest with us today, uh, Sister Reina Alberto of the General Relief Society Presidency. Welcome, Reina. Thank you. Sister Alberto, it's so great to have you here. Thank it's you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. Our pleasure. And thank you also to Brother Alberto for being here today. Yes, we appreciate you coming. With me. So Sister Alberto uh, was born in Nicaragua. Yes. So you were called to be the second counselor of the General Relief Society Presidency in 2017. You studied industrial engineering and computer science, and you and your husband own a translation business together. That's correct. Right off the bat, in 3527, Christ really emphasizes the importance of his name and the importance of calling the church by his name. In fact, I'm curious to know, we can continue and look at these scriptures, but your specific experience in the General Relief Society presidency, has that been something that you have talked about? Well, uh, I remember when the announcement was made. I don't remember where I, where I went, but I went somewhere outside of the United States and just testifying and just saying the words, I know that this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what I felt when I said that, because I knew that that's the way that the Lord wants us to, to call His Church, but also that we identify like that because we received His name on us. We have made that promise. Just being able to say, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, doesn't matter how long it takes. Yeah. Sometimes we are lazy. <laughs> you know how it is? We, want, we like to shorten the words, but it doesn't matter how many seconds it takes to say it. If we say it with conviction and with love, people can feel power. Excellent. And as I was going through these scriptures, one of the questions I was asking is, you know, what is the importance of the name? And I tried to underline everything that I saw speaking to that question. What is the importance of the name? So in, the, in verse 5 here we have, uh, you must take upon you the name of Christ, uh, as Barbara was saying, which is my name. For by this name shall you be called at the last day. So in this sense, the name is supposed to gesture towards our eventual goal of being called by the name of Christ at the last day. Verse 7, therefore, whatsoever you shall do, you shall do it in my name. So here he's kind of talking in the present, this idea that we're supposed to be representatives of Christ, that we're supposed to let our light so shine, and that light that we're supposed to hold up to people is Christ. Finally, verse 9, if you call upon the Father for the church, if it be in my name, the Father will hear you. So in this sense, the name is kind of reminding us that Christ is our advocate with the Father. These three things have helped me orient myself to Christ. When you use a name like Mormon or LDS or things like that, the orientation is a little bit different. But when it's focused on Jesus Christ, that's where we're directing ourselves in the future, in the present, and that's who we rely on. I love that President Nelson in his talk, it's October 2018, referring to... 
releasing the statement of the name of the church. I did this because the Lord impressed upon my mind the importance of the name he decreed for his church, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What were your thoughts and, and what has been your experience in changing, or not necessarily changing, but emphasizing specifically the name of the church rather than going by perhaps Mormon or LDS as we so comfortably have done in the past? I remember being a missionary at the time and it was so interesting because you'd go out and you'd contact people on the street and instead of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're the Mormon missionaries, that had a certain connotation associated yeah. with it, but it also helped us be more direct. You know, if we just said outright, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they knew why we were there, they knew what we were going to talk about, and there wasn't any question. It wasn't a sales pitch, it was the gospel. And that helped incredibly. Thank you. I'd like to hear somebody, I appreciate your comment, I'd like to hear from somebody who, who it's been difficult for or an experience where it was difficult for you to change it? So I was on a mission as well in the Philippines, and we would take what's called trikes to the churches. And so we'd get in the trike, and they'd say, where are you going? And we'd say, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then they would be like, where's that? Like, I've never heard of that church. I don't know. It just was like a really hard time to like teach all of the trike drivers what that <laughs> meant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're still teaching the trike drivers like what church is the Mormon church. Yeah. Now they know, though. Yeah, now they know. I was going to say, that, the interesting thing is now they do know. In some sense, we are the best advertisers. And so it's, in some ways, it's great. I'd like to go to a quote from President Nelson uh, from this exact talk. Thus, the name of the church is not negotiable. And then he says, when we omit his name from his church, we are inadvertently removing him as a central focus of our lives. I like how President Nelson says inadvertently. I don't think there's a member of the church who would purposefully omit Jesus Christ from our lives. But I do recognize and see the importance, especially as is taught here in 3 Nephi, that Christ wants his name to be used. I know in my own personal experience, when I say we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I feel the spirit and I feel like I need to be a better representative of Christ. A lot of things in the world today are dividing us. We put labels on other people, we put labels on ourselves, and a lot of times labels serve to divide people. But this label of Jesus Christ and as children of God, right, is something that actually serves to unite us. So I like that we're putting the name of Christ back in because it's something that we all have in common. Whether we're members of the church or not, we all have some sort of relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our brother, he's our savior. Going off what this sister said, one of the questions I had, so in 4th Nephi, chapter 1, verse 17, neither were there Lamanites nor any manner of ites, but they were in one, the children of Christ, heirs to the kingdom of God. And this stuck out to me because we have a very diverse global church today, and it seemed to suggest here that there, the kind of cultural designations, Nephite and Lamanite, were disappearing to some degree. And one of the questions I have is, is there a place for unique cultural identities in the church? Or put another way, to what degree do we all have to be the same? Well, the reality is that we are unique. Mm -hmm. And there is beauty and there is power in, in our uniqueness. But at the same time, we have to remember that we have a common identity. We are children of God. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters and we are disciples of Christ. And I think that should be our goal. That should be our objective in life, just to remember that everyone, everyone has something to offer. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that we are unique and different, that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. We just need to learn from each other. It's a major time right now. I mean, yes. this, this idea of no matter of ites, I mean, we're living in a day and age when this is becoming more and more mm -hmm. significant, perhaps more and more important. I, I love that you brought us to 4th Nephi. Again, 17, there were no robbers, nor murderers, nor were there Lamanites, nor any manner of ites. 
but they were in one, the children of Christ and heirs to the kingdom of God. And just like you're saying, when they recognize that they are children of God, that takes away so many of these ites ideas. And President Nelson says this about that reference. He says, when we know, similar to what you're just saying, Sister Alberto, when we know who we are and what God expects of us, when his law is written in our hearts, we are spiritually protected. We become better people. When the Nephites were truly righteous, they avoided divisive nicknames and there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which dwell in the hearts of the people. And then he says, that lesson from history suggests that we also delete from our personal vocabularies, the names that segregate and hyphens that separate. So mm -hmm. this idea of the name of the church really does unite us. And just embrace everybody as they come mm -hmm. and, and realize that every person is a child of God and that he expects us to, to embrace everybody and to invite them to come and contribute, mm -hmm. to bring what they, what they have, the goodness that they have, and, and together we can do this, this better. Thank you, wonderful comment. So one of the important things that we can do as individuals to unite together as children of God, and just like, especially with all these times of contention and like division, like what are some things we can do? It's a great, great question. question. Well, I feel that we just have to follow Christ's example of love and acceptance. And I think that we also need to, to ask, to keep asking ourselves, what little thing can I do today to help make this world a better world? And I know that we will receive those answers. You will know exactly what to do because the Lord will, will, will guide you and He will, he will help you. Excellent. That's a great question. It's yeah. a fantastic question. One of the things that I, I've thought about too is what's helped me is meeting people where they are as mm -hmm. opposed to where we want them to be. Um, we're all on our kind of different faith journeys here. We're all at different places in our spiritual progression. And like, we just need to meet people where they are and help them get to the next step as, as opposed to, oh, you need to be right here and you're only right here. So, you know, I'm going to put all this pressure on you or I'm going to judge you or something like that. Just don't burn bridges and try to help them take the baby steps as it were. Yeah. I think, I think for me too, a question that I often ask myself, if I'm in some type of contentious situation and I ask a question, Lord, is it I? And will thou please teach me how I can improve the situation because sometimes we don't even see it. Sometimes we think that we are unifying and sometimes we think that we're bringing people together. But I know from personal experience that sometimes in my best of intentions, I'm missing something. I think that if we also make an effort to get to know other people, sometimes that we feel that we don't have anything in common with somebody. But then if I make an effort and I really get to know the person, I realized the goodness that they have. Everybody has goodness and, and something good to give. And together we can, we can learn from each other and we can be better. So as we've been talking about this, one of the things that keeps coming into my mind is, does God want us how we are or does he want us to be something more than that? I, I think it's okay to try to be you, but I don't believe that the gospel is a gospel that we're supposed to be comfortable in. He's not asking us to be perfect right now. He's asking us to use the atonement of Jesus Christ and become perfect in him. I think we have a lot of, well, we do have a lot of potential as children of God. We're all on a level playing field in that we all have the opportunity, whether in this life or the next, to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ to make covenants. And Heavenly Father is expecting you to become more than what you are. That's what Jesus Christ offers us. I found so much joy in that. I was able to look past toxic perfectionism and change that to divine discontent, like Elder Maxwell said. And I found real happiness in doing that. Thank you. We are in a world that teaches relativism, as if relativism is such a wonderful part of life and everything is relative and everything goes and anything goes and whoever you are, whatever you want to do is all okay. 
That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some people, that is very difficult. Christ actually teaches that there is a way to be baptized. Christ actually teaches that there are covenants that need to be made. Christ teaches the gospel of faith and repentance. And as members of the church, although sometimes it may be difficult, we recognize that we want to live with God again. And there are certain rules and there are certain commandments and there are certain ordinances that must be followed and kept and understood in order to become and live like he is. In fact, President Nelson talked about this idea of following Christ and he gives quite an invitation here. And for me, it felt like a warning. It was, it was pretty strong. He says, now as president of his church, I plead with you, who have distanced yourself from the church and with you who have not yet really sought to know that the Savior's church has been restored. Do the spiritual work to find out for yourselves and please do it now. Time is running out. And for me, he wasn't just talking about members and, and people who have not yet found the truth, but he was talking to me. And I don't think that's meant to be a fear tactic. I think that's meant to be reality. Today is the day that we need to be changing and repenting and coming unto Christ. Going off of that, we've been talking about how the fundamental principles of the gospel are intended to make us better people, to change us, right? And one of the things I noticed in, in Third Nephi is what that kind of change looks like, and specifically how it's manifested in the desire of the disciples. So Jesus comes to the disciples, the 12 are standing there, and he says, what do you desire? We desire that after we have lived unto the age of man, that our ministry, wherein thou hast called us, may have an end, that we may speedily come unto thee in thy kingdom. Jesus says, blessed are you, Excellent, I'll give you that desire. He asked the other three disciples, they were a little shy. They said they sorrowed in their hearts for they durst not speak unto him the thing which they desired. Um, but what they did desire is that they might bring the souls of men unto me while this world shall stand. And then Jesus says, more blessed are ye. It seems to me that Christ is framing the three Nephites desire as more noble or more ideal than, than the other nine uh, disciples. What is it about this desire that is good? What is it about it that is ideal? I think that it's impressive to see that the Lord asks them what are the desires of their heart. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was not comparing their desires because they were different and I think they were all righteous, mm -hmm. but he just grants them what they want to do because he knew that they wanted to stay so they could bring people to him. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this is part of what, what should be our purpose, you know, to, to bring souls to, to Christ. Mm -hmm and to help people realize who he is and who we are in relationship to him. But also, I think that what we learn from this story is that we need to tell the Lord what our desires are. When I became a member of the church, I remember that for years, um, I, I didn't understand what prayer was really, but I remember that I didn't want to ask for specific things because I felt like I was imposing my will. But then after I read a few talks and through the years, I, read, I learned that we need to be more specific. Mm -hmm. I was being too general. And if we have a desire in our heart and if we have a need, we need to be specific in our prayers. And this is a great example of that. So for me, there are a lot of things I know I should desire, but I don't necessarily feel it. Like desire isn't something you can fake. But how do I cultivate desire for good? Well, I think that you have to keep doing those little things that bring the Spirit, mm -hmm. because it's really the Spirit that helps us do those things. Mm -hmm. So I feel that if, if we really have the desire and we ask mm -hmm. for opportunities, they come. Yeah, excellent. I, I was going to point out, I like marking words that are uh, consistent throughout the Scriptures. And in chapter 28, if you go to verse 3, it says, And he said unto them, Blessed are ye, because ye desired. 
And then you go to verse five, and they sorrowed in their hearts and they durst not speak unto him the thing which they desired, kind of like what you were saying. Verse six, he said unto them, behold, I know your thoughts and ye have desired. Then you go to verse nine, and again, ye shall not have pain while ye shall dwell in the flesh. And you continue on, I do because of the things which ye have desired of me. For ye have desired that ye might bring the souls of men unto them while in the world. This idea of desire is all throughout chapter 28. And there's a wonderful quote by Elder Maxwell. He says, even a spark of desire can begin a change. Thus, educating and training our desires clearly requires understanding the truths of the gospel, yet even more is involved. It's like Elder Packer often says, true doctrine understood changes attitude and behavior. When we understand the beauty of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, when we understand that the atonement of Jesus Christ is real, we often have a greater desire to become more like Christ and change our lives in accordance with his will. Um, I think we had a question from um, some of our viewers, so maybe we can pull that up and talk about it together. Hi. Hi. We're the Jacoby family from England. And here's our question. How can we have peace and joy during times of uncertainty? (laughs) So how can we have peace and joy during times of uncertainty? Our joy and anxiety, our joy and worry, our peace and worry, are they mutually exclusive or can they coexist? Over the past year or so, um, I've been really struggling with like stress and anxiety issues and I've noticed, like, even though I didn't see it at the time, when I was reading my scriptures, if not every night, like when I could, it didn't make anything go away or, like, it just made it easier to, like, bear and, like, go through. And I knew that Jesus had gone through the same thing and more and that I could do it. And the nights that I thought I didn't need to read my scriptures or say my prayers or something, I didn't see it then, but then the next day or that night would just be like, not worse, but it would just be harder to get through because I didn't have that support of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Again, life comes with a package. You know, we we come here, we we are in a mortal state and we have to go through hard things. But I think that despite these challenges that we are going through, we can actually feel peace and joy. And that comes from knowing that we are really trying to follow Jesus Christ, that we are really trying to have that spirit with us. It doesn't mean that if we are faithful disciples, it doesn't mean that we are not going to go through hard times. We, we will all do. And that's why we always have to keep trying to be sensitive to other people and trying to see who we can help in their struggles. And then also to be willing to accept for help because many times we are the ones who need help and we need to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I need help right now. I cannot do this alone. I love the idea that sometimes it's not, I mean, the Lord obviously is going to help us through whatever we experience, but a lot of times we need to seek help from others as well elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what it takes. It's not just a matter of prayer. It's not just a matter of willpower and grit and buckling down and being the best person you can. Like sometimes you legitimately need the help of other people. So uh, I know Elder Holland, um, in a recent talk, he talked about some people who suffer from depression and anxiety. And he says, you know, if you have a broken arm, you go to the doctor and prayers and scripture ain't gonna fix that. And sometimes it's the same way with depression or, yes. or anxiety. Sometimes we need to be medicated or need therapy or something like that. And there's no shame in that. That's okay. And the Lord expects us to kind of seek out that help. Yes. Um, and it can be damaging to assume that if we just pray harder, that sometimes those things will go away. 
Um, but we really need to rely on each other in those respects sometimes. Yeah. This almost seems crazy to jump from uh, real anxiety and depression and then jump into there never were a happier people. But, <laughs> but, but we're going to do that because yes. I think that this is real. We are all over the spectrum as uh -huh. members of the church. And as we learn in 4th Nephi, verse 16, it says that there was no envyings, nor strifes, nor tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any manner of lasciviousness. And surely, and I love this, there could not be a happier people among the people who had been created by the hand of God. What are some of those things that cause these people to be such a happy people? And I want to say this again because I know this is real. You can be among a happy people and still really struggle. This doesn't say every single person was happy all the time, but there was never a happier people. What are some of these things that they were doing? What are some of these indicators of a happy people that comes from 4th Nephi? I was just going to say that there were mighty miracles that they noticed. And I just like that because it means that they attributed the good things that were happening to Jesus Christ and to God. Because later in the chapter, they talk about how there's miracles still, but they, they harden their hearts. And so in our lives today, I think there's a lot of miracles that happen even every day. But sometimes we're like, wow, I'm like so lucky. But in reality, it's God blessing us, and if we attribute that to Heavenly Father, we're more grateful in our hearts. So. Beautiful, well said, thank you. I just liked in verse three, it says, and they all had all things common among them. And I really just love that because it shows that like, there weren't people that were like put up on a pedestal or like because of what they had or anything. It was just like all based on like the unity and love and they were just all together. And I just really loved that, that they're united together. Thank you. I like in verse 12, it's just a little phrase. It just says, and in meeting together oft, both to pray and to hear the word of the Lord. And I think it's really important that we get together and talk about things. Like that's what's really great about Come Follow Me is that we can come together as families and talk about the gospel. And I think that it really gives us a, a place to connect with one another and a place of love that we can feel for those around us when they're going through hard times. Beautiful. In fact, I'll tell you one of my not happy moments. I remember one time sitting in a Sunday school class and hearing somebody talk, and this is a prideful moment on my part. I remember thinking, okay, we already all know that. And then I, I felt this impression, but do you know her? And I realized that it wasn't about all the information that I had gathered in my life. It was about the person that was talking. So thank you so much for sharing that. Clearly the importance of unity creates part of this happiness that we're experiencing. I'd like to point out in verse 11 too, sometimes it's maybe not the most popular, but they were married and given in marriage, and they were blessed according to the multitude of the promises which the Lord had made unto them. Not everyone in this life has an opportunity to be married, and there are a lot of different experiences that people are having, and a lot of perhaps same-gender attraction or maybe anxiety that's causing people to not be able to get married. There are a number of things, but as a society, as a society, they were married and they were given in marriage. I think that's an important principle that the Lord is teaching, even in our day. Really, if we look at this, this has to do with choices, with things that people can control. Maybe not getting married, because that sometimes is something that we cannot control. But then everything else is about attitudes yeah. and choices. Because I'm sure that their life was not perfect. They, it doesn't talk about the things that we cannot control, like sickness, floods, yeah. earthquakes, you know. Losing I'm, a job. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure that they had, yes, you know, like yeah. bad, bad harvests or right. something, things like that that happened to them because they were in a fallen world like we are. I'm sure that they had their struggles like we all do. But there are some things that we cannot control and they don't mention them in here, but they mention the things that we can control. Yeah. So these are choices that we can make, and it is possible 
to, to, to achieve this science society because this is really describing what a science society is. And we can achieve that in our, in our family, in our words, as a society also, if all of us are really trying to make these choices and to do these things that we can control because we have our agency. We have been given that eternal gift and we can do it. Yeah, great insights. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for your insights and questions and comments. We really appreciate um, everything you've shared with us today, your experiences, your perspectives. I really personally value diverse perspectives, and I learned so much, so thank you for that. We are eager to also continue to hear the thoughts and impressions and questions from those of you who are at home. We appreciate the questions that have been sent in as well, and we hope to continue to do that. So we'll see you next week on Come Follow Up. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.